0: BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Volume 1, Part 1, Chapter 29 of The Ingenious Gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha by miguel de cervantes saavedra translated by john ormsby eighteen twenty nine to eighteen ninety five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter twenty nine which treats of the droll device and method adopted to extricate our love-stricken knight from the severe penance he had imposed upon himself such sirs is the true story of my sad adventures judge for yourselves now whether the sighs and lamentations you heard and the tears that flowed from my eyes had not sufficient cause even if i had indulged in them more freely and if you consider the nature of my misfortune you will see that consolation is idle as there is no possible remedy for it all i ask of you is what you may easily and reasonably do to show me where I may pass my life unharassed by the fear and dread of discovery by those who are in search of me. For though the great love my parents bear me makes me feel sure of being kindly received by them, so great is my feeling of shame at the mere thought that I cannot present myself before them as they expect, that I had rather banish myself from their sight forever than look them in the face with the reflection that they beheld mine stripped of that purity that they had a right to expect in me with these words she became silent and the color that overspread her face showed plainly the pain and shame she was suffering at heart in theirs the listeners felt as much pity as wonder at her misfortunes but as the curate was just about to offer her some consolation and advice cardenio forestalled him saying so then senora you are the fair dorothea the only daughter of the rich clonardo dorothea was astonished at hearing her father's name and at the miserable appearance of him who mentioned it for it has been already said how wretchedly clan cardenio was so she said to him and who may you be brother who seem to know my father's name so well for so far if i remember rightly i have not mentioned it in the whole story of my misfortunes i am that unhappy being senora replied cardenio whom as you have said lucinda declared to be her husband i am the unfortunate cardenio whom the wrongdoing of him who has brought you to your present condition has reduced to the state you see me in bare ragged bereft of all human comfort and what is worse of reason for i only possess it when heaven is pleased for some short space to restore it to me i dorothea am he who witnessed the wrong done by don fernando and waited to hear the yes uttered by which lucinda owned herself his betrothed i am he who had not courage enough to see how her fainting fit ended, or what came of the paper that was found in her bosom, because my heart had not the fortitude to endure so many strokes of ill fortune at once. And so, losing patience, I quitted the house, and leaving a letter with my host, which I entreated him to place in Lucinda's hands, I betook myself to these solitudes, resolved to end here the life I hated, as if it were my mortal enemy. But fate would not rid me of it, contenting itself with robbing me of my reason perhaps to preserve me for the good fortune i have had in meeting you for if that which you have just told us be true as i believe it to be it may be that heaven has yet in store for both of us a happier termination to our misfortunes than we look for because seeing that lucinda cannot marry don fernando being mine as she has herself so openly declared and that don fernando cannot marry her as he is yours we may reasonably hope that heaven will restore to us what is ours as it is still in existence and not yet alienated or destroyed and as we have this consolation springing from no very visionary hope or wild fancy i entreat you senora to form new resolutions in your better mind as i mean to do in mine preparing yourself to look forward to happier fortunes for i swear to you by the faith of a gentleman and a christian not to desert you until i see you in possession of don fernando and if i cannot by words induce him to recognize his obligation to you in that case to avail myself of the right which my rank as a gentleman gives me and with just cause challenge him on account of the injury he has done you not regarding my own wrongs which i shall leave to heaven to avenge while i on earth devote myself to yours cardenio's words completed the astonishment of dorothea and not knowing how to return thanks for such an offer she attempted to kiss his feet but cardenio would not permit it and the licentiate replied for both commended the sound reasoning of cardenio and lastly begged advised and urged them to come with him to his village where they might furnish themselves with what they needed and take measures to discover don fernando or restore dorothea to her parents or do what seemed to them most advisable cardenio and dorothea thanked him and accepted the kind offer he made them and the barber who had been listening to all attentively and in silence on his part said some kindly words also and with no less good will than the curate offered his services in any way that might be of use to them he also explained to them in a few words the object that had brought them there and the strange nature of don quixote's madness and how they were waiting for his squire who had gone in search of him like the recollection of a dream the quarrel he had had with don quixote came back to cardeno's memory and he described it to the others but he was unable to say what the dispute was about at this moment they heard a shout and recognized it as coming from sancho panza who not finding them where he had left them was calling aloud to them they went to meet him and in answer to their inquiries about don quixote he told them how he had found him stripped to his shirt lank yellow half dead with hunger and sighing for his lady dulcinea and although he had told him that she commanded him to quit that place and come to el toboso where she was expecting him he had answered that he was determined not to appear in the presence of her beauty until he had done deeds to make him worthy of her favor and if this went on sancho said he ran the risk of not becoming an emperor as in duty bound or even an archbishop which was the least he could be for which reason they ought to consider what was to be done to get him away from there the licentiate in reply told him not to be uneasy for they would fetch him away in spite of himself he then told cardenio and dorothea what they had proposed to do to cure don quixote or at any rate take him home upon which Dorothea said that she could play the distressed damsel better than the barber, especially as she had there the dress in which to do it to the life, and that they might trust to her acting the part in every particular requisite for carrying out their scheme. For she had read a great many books of chivalry and knew exactly the style in which afflicted damsels beg boons of knights-errant. In that case, said the curate, there is nothing more required than to set about it at once, for beyond a doubt fortune is declaring itself in our favor since it has so unexpectedly begun to open a door for your relief and smoothed the way for us to our object dorothea then took out of her pillow-case a complete petticoat of some rich stuff and a green mantle of some other fine material and a necklace and other ornaments out of a little box and with these in an instant she so arrayed herself that she looked like a great and rich lady All this and more, she said, she had taken from home in case of need, but that until then she had had no occasion to make use of it. They were all highly delighted with her grace, air, and beauty, and declared Don Fernando to be a man of very little taste when he rejected such charms. But the one who admired her most was Sancho Panza, for it seemed to him what indeed was true, that in all the days of his life he had never seen such a lovely creature and he asked the curate with great eagerness who this beautiful lady was and what she wanted in these out-of-the-way quarters this fair lady brother sancho replied the curate is no less a personage than the heiress in the direct male line of the great kingdom of micomicon who has come in search of your master to beg a boon of him which is that he redress a wrong or injury that a wicked giant has done her and from the fame as a good knight which your master has acquired far and wide this princess has come from guinea to seek him a lucky seeking and a lucky finding says sancho panza at this especially if my master has the good fortune to redress that injury and right that wrong and kill that son of a bitch of a giant your worship speaks of as kill him he will if he meets him unless indeed he happens to be a phantom for my master has no power at all against phantoms But one thing among others i would beg of you senor licentiate which is that to prevent my master taking a fancy to be an archbishop for that is what i'm afraid of your worship would recommend him to marry this princess at once for in this way he will be disabled from taking archbishop's orders and will easily come into his empire and i to the end of my desires i have been thinking over the matter carefully and by what i can make out i find it will not do for me that my master should become an archbishop because i am no good for the church as i am married and for me now having as i have a wife and children to set about obtaining dispensations to enable me to hold a place of profit under the church would be endless work so that senor it all turns on my master marrying this lady at once for as yet i do not know her grace and so i cannot call her by her name she is called the princess mycomiconas said the curate for as her kingdom is mycomicon it is clear that must be her name there is no doubt of that replied sancho for i have known many to take their name and title from the place where they were born and call themselves pedro of alcala juan of ubeda and diego of valladolid and it may be that over there in guinea queens have the same way of taking the names of their kingdoms so it may said the curate and as for your master's marrying i will do all in my power towards it with which sancho was as much pleased as the curate was amazed at his simplicity and at seeing what a hold the absurdities of his master had taken of his fancy for he had evidently persuaded himself that he was going to be an emperor by this time dorothea had seated herself upon the curate's mule and the barber had fitted the oxtail beard to his face and they now told sancho to conduct them to where don quixote was warning him not to say that he knew either the licentiate or the barber as his master's becoming an emperor entirely depended on his not recognizing them neither the curate nor cardenio however thought fit to go with them cardenio lest he should remind don quixote of the quarrel he had with him and the curate as there was no necessity for his presence just yet so they allowed the others to go on before them while they themselves followed slowly on foot. The curate did not forget to instruct Dorothea how to act, but she said they might make their minds easy, as everything would be done exactly as the books of chivalry required and described. They had gone about three-quarters of a league when they discovered Don Quixote in a wilderness of rocks, by this time clothed but without his armor. And as soon as Dorothea saw him, and it was told by Sancho that that was don quixote she whipped her palfrey the well-bearded barber following her and on coming up to him her squire sprang from his mule and came forward to receive her in his arms and she dismounting with great ease of manner advanced to kneel before the feet of don quixote and though he strove to raise her up she without rising addressed him in this fashion from this spot i will not rise o valiant and doughty knight until your goodness and courtesy grant me a boon, which will redound to the honor and renown of your person and render a service to the most disconsolate and afflicted damsel the sun has seen. And if the might of your strong arm corresponds to the repute of your immortal fame, you are bound to aid the helpless being, who, led by the savor of your renowned name, hath come from far distant lands to seek your aid in her misfortunes. I will not answer a word, beauteous lady, replied Don Quixote, nor will I listen to anything further concerning you until you rise from the earth. I will not rise, senor, answered the afflicted damsel, unless of your courtesy the boon I ask is first granted me. I grant and accord it, said Don Quixote, provided without detriment or prejudice to my king, my country, or her who holds the key of my heart and freedom, it may be complied with. It will not be to the detriment or prejudice of any of them my worthy lord said the afflicted damsel and here sancho panza drew close to his master's ear and said to him very softly your worship may very safely grant the boon she asks it's nothing at all only to kill a big giant and she who asks it is the exalted princess micomicona queen of the great kingdom of micomicon of ethiopia let her be who she may replied don quixote i will do what is my bounden duty and what my conscience bids me in conformity with what i have professed and turning to the damsel he said let your great beauty rise for i grant the boon which you would ask of me then what i ask said the damsel is that your magnanimous person accompany me at once whither i will conduct you and that you promise not to engage in any other adventure or quest until you have avenged me of a traitor who against all human and divine law has usurped my kingdom I repeat that i grant it replied don quixote and so lady you may from this day forth lay aside the melancholy that distresses you and let your failing hopes gather new life and strength for with the help of god and of my arm you will soon see yourself restored to your kingdom and seated upon the throne of your ancient and mighty realm notwithstanding and despite of the felons who would gainsay it and now hands to the work for as they say in delay there is apt to be danger the distressed damsel strove with much pertinacity to kiss his hands but don quixote who was in all things a polished and courteous knight would by no means allow it but made her rise and embraced her with great courtesy and politeness and ordered sancho to look to rocinante's girths and to arm him without a moment's delay sancho took down the armor which was hung up on a tree like a trophy and having seen to the girths, armed his master in a trice, who as soon as he found himself in his armor exclaimed, let us be gone in the name of God to bring aid to this great lady. The barber was all this time on his knees at great pains to hide his laughter and not let his beard fall, for had it fallen, maybe their fine scheme would have come to nothing. But now seeing the boon granted and the promptitude with which Don Quixote prepared to set out in compliance with it, he rose and took his lady's hand and between them they placed her upon the mule don quixote then mounted rocinante and the barber settled himself on his beast sancho being left to go on foot which made him feel anew the loss of his dapple finding the want of him now but he bore all with cheerfulness being persuaded that his master had now fairly started and was just on the point of becoming an emperor for he felt no doubt at all that he would marry this princess and be king of micomicon at last the only thing that troubled him was the reflection that this kingdom was in the land of the blacks and that the people they would give him for vassals would all be black but for this he soon found a remedy in his fancy and said he to himself what is it to me if my vassals are black what more have i to do than make a cargo of them and carry them to spain where i can sell them and get ready money for them and with it buy some title or some office in which to live at ease all the days of my life not unless you go to sleep and haven't the wit or skill to turn things to account and sell three six or ten thousand vassals while you would be talking about it by god i will stir them up big and little or as best i can and let them be ever so black i'll turn them into white or yellow come come what a fool i am and so he jogged on So occupied was his thoughts and easy in his mind that he forgot all about the hardship of traveling on foot. Cardenio and the curate were watching all this from among some bushes, not knowing how to join company with the others. But the curate, who was very fertile in devices, soon hit upon a way of effecting their purpose. And with a pair of scissors that he had in a case, he quickly cut off Cardenio's beard and putting on him a gray jerkin of his own, he gave him a black cloak leaving himself in his breeches and doublet while cardenio's appearance was so different from what it had been that he would not have known himself had he seen himself in a mirror having effected this although the others had gone on ahead while they were disguising themselves they easily came out on the high road before them for the brambles and awkward places they encountered did not allow those on horseback to go as fast as those on foot they then posted themselves on the level ground at the outlet of the sierra and as soon as don quixote and his companions emerged from it the curate began to examine him very deliberately as though he were striving to recognize him and after having stared at him for some time he hastened towards him with open arms exclaiming a happy meeting with a mirror of chivalry my worthy compatriot don quixote of la mancha the flower and cream of high breeding the protection and relief of the distress the quintessence of knights-errant and so saying he clasped in his arms the knee of don quixote's left leg he astonished at the stranger's words and behavior looked at him attentively and at length recognized him very much surprised to see him there and made great efforts to dismount this however the curate would not allow on which don quixote said permit me senor licentiate for it is not fitting that i should be on horseback and so reverend a person as your worship on foot on no account will i allow it said the curate your mightiness must remain on horseback for it is on horseback you achieve the greatest deeds and adventures that have been beheld in our age as for me an unworthy priest it will serve me well enough to mount on the haunches of one of the mules of these gentlefolk who accompany your worship, if they have no objection. And I will fancy I am mounted on the steed Pegasus, or on the zebra or charger that bore the famous moor, Muzarach, who to this day lies enchanted in the great hill of Zulema, a little distance from the great Complutum. Nor even that will I consent to, Senor Licentiate, answered Don Quixote and I know it will be the good pleasure of my lady the princess, out of love for me, to order her squire to give up the saddle of his mule to your worship, and he can sit behind if the beast will bear it. It will, I am sure, said the princess, and I am sure, too, that I need not order my squire, for he is too courteous and too good a Christian to allow a churchman to go on foot when he might be mounted. That he is, said the barber, and at once alighting he offered his saddle to the curate, who accepted it without much entreaty. But unfortunately, as the barber was mounting behind, the mule, being, as it happened, a hired one, which is the same thing as saying ill-conditioned, lifted its hind hoofs and let fly a couple of kicks in the air, which would have made Master Nicholas with his expedition in quest of Don Quixote at the devil had they caught him on the breast or head. As it was, they so took him by surprise that he came to the ground, giving so little heed to his beard that it fell off and all he could do when he found himself without it was to cover his face hastily with both his hands and moan that his teeth were knocked out don quixote when he saw all that bundle of beard detached without jaws or blood from the face of the fallen squire exclaimed by the living god but this is a great miracle it has knocked off and plucked the beard from his face as if it had been shaved off designedly The curate seeing the danger of discovery that threatened his scheme at once pounced upon the beard and hastened with it to where master nicholas lay still uttering moans and drawing his head to his breast had it on in an instant muttering over him some words which he said were a certain special charm for sticking on beards as they would see and as soon as he had it fixed he left him and the squire appeared well bearded and whole as before whereat don quixote was beyond measure astonished and begged the curate to teach him that charm when he had an opportunity, as he was persuaded his virtue must extend beyond the sticking-on of beards. For it was clear that where the beard had been stripped off, the flesh must have remained torn and lacerated. And when it could heal all that, it must be good for more than beards. And so it is, said the curate, and he promised to teach it to him on the first opportunity. They then agreed that for the present the curate should mount and that the three should ride by turns until they reached the inn, which might be about six leagues from where they were three then being mounted that is to say don quixote the princess and the curate and three on foot Cardenio, the barber and sancho panza don quixote said to the damsel let your highness lady lead on whithersoever is most pleasing to you but before she could answer the licentiate said towards what kingdom would your ladyship direct our course is it perchance towards that of micomicon it must be or else i know little about kingdoms she being ready on all points understood that she was to answer yes so she said yes senor my way lies towards that kingdom in that case said the curate we must pass right through my village and there your worship will take the road to cartagena where you will be able to embark fortune favoring and if the wind be fair and the sea smooth and tranquil in somewhat less than nine years you may come in sight of the great lake meona i mean meotides which is little more than a hundred days journey this side of your highness's kingdom your worship is mistaken senor said she for it is not two years since i set out from it and though i never had good weather nevertheless i am here to behold what i so longed for and that is my lord don quixote of la mancha whose fame came to my ears as soon as i set foot in spain and impelled me to go in search of him to commend myself to his courtesy and entrust the justice of my cause to the might of his invincible arm enough no more praise said don quixote at this for i hate all flattery and though this may not be so still language of the kind is offensive to my chaste ears i will only say senora that whether it has might or not, that which it may or may not have shall be devoted to your service even to death. And now, leaving this to its proper season, I would ask the senor licentiate to tell me what it is that has brought him into these parts, alone, unattended, and so lightly clad that I am filled with amazement. I will answer that briefly, replied the curate you must know then senor don quixote that master nicholas our friend and barber and i were going to seville to receive some money that a relative of mine who went to the indies many years ago had sent me and not such a small sum but that it was over sixty thousand pieces of eight full weight which is something and passing by this place yesterday we were attacked by four footpads who stripped us even to our beards and them they stripped off so that the barber found it necessary to put on a false one and even this young man here pointing to cardenio they completely transformed but the best of it is the story goes in the neighborhood that those who attacked us belonged to a number of galley slaves who they say were set free almost on the very same spot by a man of such valor that in spite of the commissary and of the guards he released the whole of them And beyond all doubt he must have been out of his senses or he must be as great a scoundrel as they or some man without heart or conscience to let the wolf loose among the sheep the fox among the hens the fly among the honey he has defrauded justice and opposed his king and lawful master for he opposed his just commands he has i say robbed the galleys of their feet stirred up the holy brotherhood which for many years past has been quiet and lastly has done a deed by which his soul may be lost without any gain to his body sancho had told the curate and the barber of the adventure of the galley slaves which so much to his glory his master had achieved and hence the curate in alluding to it made the most of it to color at every word not daring to say that it was he who had been the liberator of those worthy people these then said the curate were they who robbed us and god in his mercy pardon him who would not let them go to the punishment they deserved end of volume 1 part 1 chapter 29 recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume 1 part 1 chapter 30 of the ingenious gentleman don quixote of la mancha by miguel de cervantes saavedra translated by john ormsby 1829 to 1895 this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter thirty which treats of the address displayed by the fair dorothea with other matters pleasant and amusing the curate had hardly ceased speaking when sancho said in faith then senor licentiate he who did that deed was my master and it was not for want of my telling him beforehand and warning him to mind what he was about and that it was a sin to set them at liberty as they were all on the march there because they were special scoundrels blockhead said don quixote at this it is no business or concern of knights-errant to inquire whether any persons in affliction in chains or oppressed that they may meet on the high roads go that way and suffer as they do because of their faults or because of their misfortunes. It only concerns them to aid as persons in need of help, having regard to their sufferings and not to their rascalities. I encountered a chaplet or string of miserable and unfortunate people, and did for them what my sense of duty demands of me, and as for the rest, be that as it may. And whoever takes objection to it, saving the sacred dignity of the Senor Licentiate and his honored person, I say he knows little about chivalry and lies like a horse and villain, and this I will give him to know to the fullest extent with my sword. And so saying, he settled himself in his stirrups and pressed down his morion, for the barber's basin, which, according to him, was Mambrino's helmet, he carried hanging at the saddle-bow until he could repair the damage done to it by the galley slaves dorothea who was shrewd and sprightly and by this time thoroughly understood don quixote's crazy turn and that all except sancho panza were making game of him not to be behind the rest said to him on observing his irritation sir knight remember the boon you have promised me and that in accordance with it you must not engage in any other adventure yet ever so pressing calm yourself for if the licentiate had known that the galley slaves had been set free by that unconquered arm he would have stopped his mouth thrice over or even bitten his tongue three times before he would have said a word that tended towards disrespect of your worship that i swear heartily said the curate and i would have even plucked off a mustache i will hold my peace senora said don quixote and i will curb the natural anger that had arisen in my breast and will proceed in peace and quietness until i have fulfilled my promise but in return for this consideration i entreat you to tell me if you have no objection to do so what is the nature of your trouble and how many who and what are the persons of whom i am to require due satisfaction and on whom i am to take vengeance on your behalf that i will do with all my heart replied dorothea if it will not be worrisome to you to hear of miseries and misfortunes it will not be worrisome senora said don quixote to which dorothea replied well if that be so give me your attention as soon as she said this cardenio and the barber drew close to her side eager to hear what sort of story the quick-witted dorothea would invent for herself and Sancho did the same for he was as much taken in by her as his master and she having settled herself comfortably in the saddle and with the help of coughing and other preliminaries taken time to think began with great sprightliness of manner in this fashion first of all i would have you know sirs that my name is and here she stopped for a moment for she forgot the name the curate had given her but he came to her relief seeing what her difficulty was and said it is no wonder senora that your highness should be confused and embarrassed in telling the tale of your misfortunes for such afflictions often have the effect of depriving the sufferers of memory So that they do not even remember their own names as is the case now with your ladyship who has forgotten that she is called the princess mikomikona lawful heiress of the great kingdom of mikomikon and with this cue your highness may well recall to your sorrowful recollection all you may wish to tell us that is the truth said the damsel but i think from this on i shall have no need of any prompting and i shall bring my true story safe into port and here it is the king my father who was called tinacrio the sapient was very learned in what they call magic arts and became aware by his craft that my mother who was called queen Haramia, was to die before he did and that soon after he too was to depart this life and i was to be left an orphan without father or mother but all this he declared did not so much grieve or distress him as his certain knowledge that a prodigious giant The lord of a great island close to our kingdom pandafilando of the scowl by name for it is averred that though his eyes are properly placed and straight he always looks askew as if he squinted and this he does out of malignity to strike fear and terror into those he looks at that he knew i say that this giant unbecoming aware of my orphan condition would overrun my kingdom with a mighty force and strip me of all not leaving me even a small village to shelter me but that i could avoid all this ruin and misfortune if i were willing to marry him however as far as he could see he never expected that i would consent to a marriage so unequal and he said no more than the truth in this for it has never entered my mind to marry that giant or any other let him be ever so great or enormous my father said too that when he was dead and i saw pandafilando about to invade my kingdom I was not to wait and attempt to defend myself for that would be destructive to me but that i should leave the kingdom entirely open to him if i wished to avoid the death and total destruction of my good and loyal vassals for there would be no possibility of defending myself against the giant's devilish power and that i should at once with some of my followers set out for spain where i should obtain relief in my distress on finding a certain knight-errant whose fame by that time would extend over the whole kingdom and who would be called if i remember rightly don azote or don quixote don quixote he must have said senora observed sancho at this otherwise called the knight of the rueful countenance that is it said dorothea he said moreover that he would be tall of stature and lank featured and that on his right side under the left shoulder or thereabouts he would have a gray mole with hairs like bristles on hearing this don quixote said to his squire here sancho my son bear a hand and help me to strip for i want to see if i am the knight that sage king foretold what does your worship want to strip for said dorothea to see if i have that mole your father spoke of answered don quixote there is no occasion to strip said sancho for i know your worship has just such a mole on the middle of your backbone which is the mark of a strong man that is enough said dorothea for with friends we must not look too closely into trifles and whether it be on the shoulder or on the backbone matters little it is enough if there is a mole be it where it may for it is all the same flesh no doubt my good father hit the truth in every particular and i have made a lucky hit in commending myself to don quixote for he is the one my father spoke of as the features of his countenance correspond with those assigned to this knight by that wide fame he has acquired not only in spain but in all la mancha for i had scarcely landed at osuna when i heard such accounts of his achievements that at once my heart told me he was the very one i had come in search of but how did you land at osuna senora asked don quixote when it is not a seaport but before dorothea could reply the curate anticipated her saying the princess meant to say that after she had landed at malaga the first place where she heard of your worship was osuna that is what i meant to say said dorothea and that would be only natural said the curate will your majesty please proceed there is no more to add said dorothea save that in finding don quixote i have had such good fortune that i already reckon and regard myself queen and mistress of my entire dominions since of his courtesy and magnanimity he has granted me the boon of accompanying me whithersoever i may conduct him which will be only to bring him face to face with pandafilando of the scowl that he may slay him and restore to me what has been unjustly usurped by him for all this must come to pass satisfactorily since my good father tinacrio the sapient foretold it who likewise left it declared in writing in chaldee or greek characters for i cannot read them that if this predicted knight after having cut the giant's throat should be disposed to marry me i was to offer myself at once without demur as his lawful wife and yield him possession of my kingdom together with my person what thinkest thou now friend sancho said don quixote at this hearest thou that did i not tell thee so see how we have already got a kingdom to govern and a queen to marry on my oath it is so said sancho and foul fortune to him who won't marry after slitting senor pandafilado's windpipe and then how ill-favored the queen is i wish the fleas in my bed were that sort and so saying he cut a couple of capers in the air with every sign of extreme satisfaction and then ran to seize the bridle of dorothea's mule and checking it fell on his knees before her begging her to give him her hand to kiss in token of his acknowledgment of her as his queen and mistress which of the bystanders could have helped laughing to see the madness of the master and the simplicity of the servant dorothea therefore gave her hand and promised to make him a great lord in her kingdom when heaven should be so good as to permit her to recover and enjoy it for which sancho returned thanks in words that set them all laughing again this sirs continued dorothea is my story it only remains to tell you that of all the attendants i took with me from my kingdom i have none left except this well-bearded squire for all were drowned in a great tempest we encountered when in sight of port and he and i came to land on a couple of planks as if by a miracle and indeed the whole course of my life is a miracle and a mystery as you may have observed and if i have been over minute in any respect or not as precise as i ought let it be accounted for by what the licentiate said at the beginning of my tale That constant and excessive troubles deprive the sufferers of their memory they shall not deprive me of mine exalted and worthy princess said don quixote however great and unexampled those which i shall endure in your service may be and here i confirm anew the boon i have promised you and i swear to go with you to the end of the world until i find myself in the presence of your fierce enemy whose haughty head i trust by the aid of god and of my arm to cut off with the edge of this i will not say good sword thanks to the Hines de Pasamonte who carried away mine this he said between his teeth and then continued and when it has been cut off and you have been put in peaceful possession of your realm it shall be left to your own decision to dispose of your person as may be most pleasing to you for so long as my memory is occupied my will enslaved and my understanding enthralled by her i say no more it is impossible for me for a moment to contemplate marriage even with a phoenix the last words of his master about not wanting to marry were so disagreeable to sancho that raising his voice he exclaimed with great irritation by my oath senor don quixote you are not in your right senses for how can your worship possibly object to marrying such an exalted princess as this do you think fortune will offer you behind every stone such a piece of luck as is offered you now is my lady dulcinea fairer perchance not she nor half as fair and i will even go so far as to say she does not come up to the shoe of this one here a poor chance i have of getting that county i am waiting for if your worship goes looking for dainties in the bottom of the sea in the devil's name marry marry and take this kingdom that comes to hand without any trouble and when you are king make me a marquis or governor of a province and for the rest let the devil take it all don quixote when he heard such blasphemies uttered against his lady dulcinea could not endure it and lifting his pike without saying anything to sancho or uttering a word he gave him two such thwacks that he brought him to the ground and had it not been that dorothea cried out to him to spare him he would have no doubt taken his life on the spot do you think he said to him after a pause you scurvy clown that you are to be always interfering with me and that you are to be always offending and i always pardoning don't fancy it impious scoundrel for that beyond a doubt thou art since thou hast set thy tongue going against the peerless dulcinea know you not lout vagabond beggar that were it not for the might which she infuses into my arm i should not have strength enough to kill a flea say oh scoffer with a viper's tongue what think you has won this kingdom and cut off this giant's head and made you a marquis for all this i count as already accomplished and decided but the might of dulcinea employing my arm as the instrument of her achievements she fights in me and conquers in me and i live and breathe in her and owe my life and being to her oh horse and scoundrel how ungrateful you are you see yourself raised from the dust of the earth to be a titled lord and the return you make for so great a benefit is to speak evil of her who has conferred it upon you Sancho was not so stunned but that he heard all his master said and rising with some degree of nimbleness he ran to place himself behind dorothea's palfrey and from that position he said to his master tell me senor if your worship is resolved not to marry this great princess it is plain the kingdom will not be yours and not being so how can ye bestow favors upon me that is what i complain of let your worship at any rate marry this queen now that we have got her here as if showered down from heaven and afterwards you may go back to my lady dulcinea for there must have been kings in the world who kept mistresses as to beauty i have nothing to do with it and if the truth is to be told i like them both though i have never seen the lady dulcinea how never seen her blasphemous traitor exclaimed don quixote hast thou not just brought me a message from her i mean said sancho that i did not see her so much at my leisure that i could take particular notice of her beauty or of her charms piecemeal but taken in the lump i like her now i forgive thee said don quixote and do thou forgive me the injury i have done thee for our first impulses are not in our control that i see replied sancho and with me the wish to speak is always the first impulse and i cannot help saying once at any rate what i have on the tip of my tongue for all that sancho said don quixote take heed of what thou sayest for the pitcher goes so often to the well i need say no more to thee well well said sancho god is in heaven and sees all tricks and will judge who does most harm i in not speaking right or your worship in doing it that is enough said dorothea run sancho and kiss your lord's hand and beg his pardon and henceforward be more circumspect with your praise and abuse and say nothing in disparagement of that lady tobosa of whom i know nothing save that i am her servant and put your trust in god for you will not fail to obtain some dignity so as to live like a prince sancho advanced hanging his head and begged his master's hand which don quixote with dignity presented to him giving him his blessing as soon as he had kissed it he then bade him go on ahead a little as he had questions to ask him and matters of great importance to discuss with him sancho obeyed and when the two had gone some distance don quixote said to him since thy return i have had no opportunity or time to ask thee many particulars touching thy mission and the answer thou hast brought back and now that chance has granted us the time and opportunity deny me not the happiness thou canst give me by such good news let your worship ask what you will answered sancho for i shall find a way out of all as easily as i found a way in but i implore you senor not to be so revengeful in future why dost thou say that sancho said don quixote i say it he returned because those blows just now were more because of the quarrel the devil stirred up between us both the other night than for what i said against my lady dulcinea whom i love and reverence as i would a relic though there is nothing of that about her merely as something belonging to your worship say no more on that subject for thy life sancho said don quixote for it is displeasing to me i have already pardoned thee for that and thou knowest the common saying for a fresh sin a fresh penance while this was going on they saw coming along the road they were following a man mounted on an ass who when he came close seemed to be a gipsy but sancho panza whose eyes and heart were there wherever he saw asses no sooner beheld the man than he knew him to be Hines de Pasamonte, And by the thread of the gypsy he got at the ball, his ass, for it was in fact Dapple that carried Pasamonte, who to escape recognition and to sell the ass, had disguised himself as a gypsy, being able to speak the gypsy language and many more, as well as if they were his own. Sancho saw him and recognized him. and in the instant he did so, he shouted to him, Hinesio, you thief! give up my treasure release my life embarrass thyself not with my repose quit my ass leave my delight be off rip get thee gone thief and give up what is not thine there was no necessity for so many words or objurgations for at the first one Hinez jumped down and at a trot-like racing speed made off and got clear of them all sancho hastened to his dapple and embracing him he said how hast thou fared my blessing, dapple of my eyes, my comrade, all the while kissing him and caressing him as if he were a human being? The ass held his peace and let himself be kissed and caressed by Sancho without answering a single word. They all came up and congratulated him on having found dapple, Don Quixote especially, who told him that notwithstanding this, he would not cancel the order for the three ass colts for which Sancho thanked him. While the two had been going along conversing in this fashion, the curate observed to Dorothea that she had shown great cleverness as well in the story itself as in its conciseness and the resemblance it bore to those of the books of chivalry. She said that she had many times amused herself reading them, but that she did not know the situation of the provinces or seaports, and so she had said at haphazard that she had landed at Osuna. So I saw, said the curate, And for that reason, I made haste to say what I did, by which it was all set right. But is it not a strange thing to see how readily this unhappy gentleman believes all these figments and lies, simply because they are in the style and manner of the absurdities of his books? So it is, said Cardenio, and so uncommon and unexampled that were one to attempt to invent and concoct it in fiction, I doubt if there be any wit keen enough to imagine it but another strange thing about it said the curate is that apart from the silly things which this worthy gentleman says in connection with his craze when other subjects are dealt with he can discuss them in a perfectly rational manner showing that his mind is quite clear and composed so that provided his chivalry is not touched upon no one would take him to be anything but a man of thoroughly sound understanding while they were holding this conversation don quixote continued his with sancho saying friend panza let us forgive and forget as to our quarrels and tell me now dismissing anger and irritation where how and when didst thou find dulcinea what was she doing what didst thou say to her what did she answer how did she look when she was reading my letter who copied it out for thee and everything in the matter that seems to thee worth knowing asking and learning neither adding nor falsifying to give me pleasure, nor yet curtailing, lest you should deprive me of it. Senor, replied Sancho, if the truth is to be told, nobody copied out the letter for me, for I carried no letter at all. It is as thou sayest, said Don Quixote, for the notebook in which I wrote it I found in my own possession two days after thy departure, which gave me very great vexation, as I knew not what thou wouldst do on finding thyself without any letter and i made sure thou wouldst return from the place where thou didst first miss it so i should have done said sancho if i had not got it by heart when your worship read it to me so that i repeated it to a sacristan who copied it out for me from hearing it so exactly that he said in all the days of his life though he had read many a letter of excommunication he had never seen or read so pretty a letter as that and hast thou got it still in thy memory sancho said don quixote Oh, no, senor, replied Sancho. For as soon as I had repeated it, seeing there was no further use for it, I set about forgetting it. And if I recollect any of it, it is that about scrubbing, I i, I mean to say sovereign lady. In the end, yours till death, the knight of the rueful countenance. And between these two, I put into it more than 300 my souls and my life's and my eyes. End of Volume 1, Part 1, Chapter 30 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Volume 1, Part 1, Chapter 31 Of the Ingenious Gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha By Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra Translated by John Ormsby, 1829-1895 to 1895. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter thirty-one of the delectable discussion between don quixote and sancho panza his squire together with other incidents all that is not unsatisfactory to me said don quixote go on thou didst reach her and what was that queen of beauty doing surely thou didst find her stringing pearls or embroidering some device in gold thread for this her enslaved knight i did not said sancho but i found her winnowing two bushels of wheat in the yard of her house then depend upon it said don quixote the grains of that wheat were pearls when touched by her hands and didst thou look friend was it white wheat or brown it was neither but red said sancho then i promise thee said don quixote that winnowed by her hands beyond a doubt the bread it made was of the whitest but go on when thou gavest her my letter did she kiss it did she place it on her head did she perform any ceremony befitting such a letter or what did she do when i went to give it to her replied sancho she was hard at it swaying from side to side with a lot of wheat she had in the sieve and she said to me lay the letter friend on the top of that sack For i cannot read it until i have done sifting all this discreet lady said don quixote that was in order to read it at her leisure and enjoy it proceed sancho while she was engaged in her occupation what converse did she hold with thee what did she ask about me and what answer didst thou give make haste tell me all and let not an atom be left behind in the ink bottle she asked me nothing said sancho but i told her how your worship was left doing penance in her service naked from the waist up in among these mountains like a savage sleeping on the ground not eating bread off a tablecloth nor combing your beard weeping and cursing your fortune in saying i curse my fortune thou saidst wrong said don quixote for rather do i bless it and shall bless it all the days of my life for having made me worthy of aspiring to love so lofty a lady as dulcinea del toboso and so lofty she is said sancho that she overtops me by more than a hand's breadth what sancho said don quixote didst thou measure with her i measured in this way said sancho going to help her to put a sack of wheat on the back of an ass we came so close together that i could see she stood more than a good palm over me well said don quixote and doth she not of a truth accompany and adorn this greatness with a thousand million charms of mind but one thing thou wilt not deny, Sancho. When thou camest close to her, didst thou not perceive a Sabian odor, an aromatic fragrance, a, I know not what, delicious, that I cannot find a name for, I mean, a redolence, an exhalation, as if thou wert in the shop of some dainty glover? All I can say is, said Sancho, that I did perceive a little odor, something goaty. It must have been that she was all in a sweat with hard work it could not be that said don quixote but thou must have been suffering from cold in the head or must have smelt thyself for i know well what would be the scent of that rose among thorns that lily of the field that dissolved amber maybe so replied sancho there often comes from myself that same odor which then seemed to me to come from her grace the lady dulcinea but that's no wonder for one devil is like another well then continued don quixote now she is done sifting the corn and sent it to the mill what did she do when she read the letter as for the letter said sancho she did not read it for she said she could neither read nor write instead of that she tore it up into small pieces saying that she did not want to let anyone read it lest her secret should become known in the village and that what i had told her by word of mouth about the love your worship bore her and the extraordinary penance you were doing for her sake was enough and to make an end of it she told me to tell your worship that she kissed your hands and that she had a greater desire to see you than to write to you and that therefore she entreated and commanded you on sight of this present to come out of these thickets and to have done with carrying on absurdities and to set out at once for el toboso unless something else of greater importance should happen for she had a great desire to see your worship she laughed greatly when i told her how your worship was called the knight of the rueful countenance i asked her if that Biscayan the other day had been there and she told me he had and that he was a very honest fellow i asked her too about the galley slaves but she said she had not seen any yet so far all goes well said don quixote but tell me what jewel was it that she gave thee on taking thy leave in return for thy tidings of me for it is a usual and ancient custom with knights and ladies errant to give the squires, damsels, or dwarfs who bring tidings of their ladies to the knights or of their knights to the ladies some rich jewel as a guerdon for good news and acknowledgment of the message. That is likely, said Sancho, and a good custom it was to my mind, but that must have been in days gone by, for now it would seem to be the custom only to give a piece of bread and cheese because that was what my lady dulcinea gave me over the top of the yard wall when i took leave of her and more by token it was sheep's milk cheese she is generous in the extreme said don quixote and if she did not give thee a jewel of gold no doubt it must have been because she had not one to hand there to give thee but sleeves are good after easter i shall see her and all shall be made right but knowest thou what amazes me sancho it seems to me thou must have gone and come through the air for thou hast taken but little more than three days to go to el toboso and return though it is more than thirty leagues from here to there for which i am inclined to think that the sage magician who is my friend and watches over my interests for of necessity there is and must be one or else i should not be a right knight-errant that this same i say must have helped thee to travel without thy knowledge for some of these sages will catch up a knight-errant sleeping in his bed and without his knowing how or in what way it happened he wakes up the next day more than a thousand leagues away from the place where he went to sleep and if it were not for this knights-errant would not be able to give aid to one another in peril as they do at every turn for a knight maybe is fighting in the mountains of armenia with some dragon or fierce serpent or another knight and gets the worst of the battle and is at the point of death But when he least looks for it there appears over against him on a cloud or chariot of fire another knight a friend of his who just before had been in england and who takes his part and delivers him from death and at night he finds himself in his own quarters supping very much to his satisfaction and yet from one place to the other will have been two or three thousand leagues and all this is done by the craft and skill of the sage enchanters who take care of those valiant knights so that friend sancho i find no difficulty in believing that thou mayest have gone from this place to el toboso and returned in such a short time since as i have said some friendly sage must have carried thee through the air without thee perceiving it that must have been it said sancho for indeed rocinante went like a gypsy's ass with quicksilver in his ears quicksilver said don quixote i and what is more a legion of devils folk that can travel and make others travel without being weary exactly as the whim seizes them but putting this aside what thinkest thou i ought to do about my lady's command to go and see her for though i feel that i am bound to obey her mandate i feel too that i am debarred by the boon i have accorded to the princess that accompanies us and the law of chivalry compels me to have regard for my word in preference to my inclination on the one hand the desire to see my lady pursues and harasses me on the other my solemn promise and the glory i shall win in this enterprise urge and call me but what i think i shall do is to travel with all speed and reach quickly the place where this giant is and on my arrival i shall cut off his head and establish the princess peacefully in her realm and forthwith i shall return to behold the light that lightens my senses to whom i shall make such excuses that she will be led to approve of my delay for she will see that it entirely tends to increase her glory and fame for all that i have won am winning or shall win by arms in this life comes to me of the favor she extends to me and because i am hers ah what a sad state your worship's brains are in said sancho tell me senor do you mean to travel all that way for nothing and to let slip and lose so rich and great a match as this where they give as a portion a kingdom that in sober truth i have heard say is more than twenty thousand leagues round about and abounds with all things necessary to support human life and is bigger than portugal and castile put together peace for the love of god blush for what you have said and take my advice and forgive me and marry at once in the first village where there is a curate if not here is our licentiate who will do the business beautifully remember i am old enough to give advice and this i am giving comes pat to the purpose for a sparrow in the hand is better than a vulture on the wing and he who has the good to his hand and chooses the bad that the good he complains of may not come to him look here sancho said don quixote if thou art advising me to marry in order that immediately on slaying the giant i may become king and be able to confer favors on thee and give thee what i have promised let me tell thee i shall be able very easily to satisfy thy desires without marrying for before going into battle i will make it a stipulation that if i come out of it victorious even if i do not marry they shall give me a portion of the kingdom that i may bestow it upon whomsoever i choose and when they give it to me upon whom wouldst thou have me bestow it but upon thee that is plain speaking said sancho but let your worship take care to choose it on the sea coast so that if i don't like the life i may be able to ship off my black vassals and deal with them as i have said don't mind going to see my lady dulcinea now but go and kill this giant and let us finish off this business for by god it strikes me it will be one of great honor and great profit i hold thou art in the right of it sancho said don quixote and i will take thy advice as to accompanying the princess before going to see dulcinea but i counsel thee not to say anything to any one or to those who are with us about what we have considered in disgust for as dulcinea is so decorous that she does not wish her thoughts to be known it is not right that i or any one for me should disclose them well then if that be so said sancho how is it that your worship makes all those you overcome by your arm go to present themselves before my lady dulcinea this being the same thing as signing your name to it that you love her and are her lover and as those who go must perforce kneel before her and say they come from your worship to submit themselves to her how can the thoughts of both of you be hid oh how silly and simple thou art said don quixote seest thou not sancho that this tends to her greater exaltation for thou must know that according to our way of thinking in chivalry it is a high honor to a lady to have many knights-errant in her service whose thoughts never go beyond serving her for her own sake and who look for no other reward for their great and true devotion than that she should be willing to accept them as her knights It is with that kind of love said sancho i have heard preachers say we ought to love our lord for himself alone without being moved by the hope of glory or the fear of punishment though for my part i would rather love and serve him for what he could do the devil take thee for a clown said don quixote and what shrewd things thou sayest at times one would think thou had studied in faith then i cannot even read answered sancho Master Nicholas here called out to them to wait a while, as they wanted to halt and drink at a little spring there was there. Don Quixote drew up, not a little to the satisfaction of Sancho, for he was by this time weary of telling so many lies, and in dread of his master catching him tripping. for though he knew that Dulcinea was a peasant girl of El Toboso, he had never seen her in all his life. Cardenio had now put on the clothes which Dorothea was wearing when they found her, And though they were not very good they were far better than those he put off they dismounted together by the side of the spring and with what the curate had provided himself with at the inn, they appeased though not very well the keen appetite they all of them brought with them while they were so employed there happened to come by a youth passing on his way who stopping to examine the party at the spring the next moment ran to don quixote and clasping him round the legs began to weep freely saying oh senor do you not know me look at me well i am that lad andres that your worship released from the oak tree where i was tied don quixote recognized him and taking his hand he turned to those present and said that your worships may see how important it is to have knights-errant to redress the wrongs and injuries done by tyrannical and wicked men in this world i may tell you that some days ago passing through a wood i heard cries and piteous complaints as of a person in pain and distress i immediately hastened impelled by my bounden duty to the quarter whence the plaintive accent seemed to me to proceed and i found tied to an oak this lad who now stands before you which in my heart i rejoice at for his testimony will not permit me to depart from the truth in any particular he was i say tied to an oak naked from the waist up and a clown whom i afterwards found to be his master was scarifying him by lashes with the reins of his mare as soon as i saw him i asked him the reason of so cruel a flagellation the boor replied that he was flogging him because he was his servant and because of carelessness that proceeded rather from dishonesty than stupidity on which this boy said "Signor." he flogs me only because i asked for my wages the master made i know not what speeches and explanations which though i listened to them i did not accept in short i compelled the clown to unbind him and to swear he would take him with him and pay him real by real and perfumed into the bargain is not all this true andres my son didst thou not mark with what authority i commanded him and with what humility he promised to do all i enjoined specified and required of him answer without confusion or hesitation tell these gentlemen what took place that they may see and observe that it is as great an advantage as i say to have knights-errant abroad all that your worship has said is quite true answered the lad but the end of the business turned out just the opposite of what your worship supposes How? the opposite said don quixote did not the clown pay thee then not only did he not pay me replied the lad but as soon as your worship had passed out of the wood and we were alone he tied me up again to the same oak and gave me a fresh flogging that left me like a flayed saint bartholomew in every stroke he gave me he followed up with some jest or gibe about having made a fool of your worship and but for the pain i was suffering i should have laughed at the things he said in short he left me in such a condition that i have been until now in a hospital getting cured of the injuries which that rascally clown inflicted on me then for all which your worship is to blame for if you had gone your own way and not come where there was no call for you nor meddled in other people's affairs my master would have been content with giving me one or two dozen lashes and would have then loosed me and paid me what he owed me but when your worship abused him so out of measure and gave him so many hard words his anger was kindled and as he could not revenge himself on you as soon as he saw you had left him the storm burst upon me in such a way that i feel as if i should never be a man again as long as i live the mischief said don quixote lay in my going away for i should not have gone until i had seen thee paid because i ought to have known well by long experience that there is no clown who will keep his word if he finds it will not suit him to keep it but thou rememberest andres that i swore if he did not pay thee i would go and seek him and find him though he were to hide himself in the whale's belly that is true said andres but it was of no use thou shalt see now whether it is of use or not said don quixote and so saying he got up hastily and bade sancho bridle Rocinante who was browsing while they were eating dorothea asked him what he meant to do he replied that he meant to go in search of this clown and chastise him for such iniquitous conduct and see andres paid to the last maravedi despite and in the teeth of all the clowns in the world to which she replied that he must remember that in accordance with his promise he could not engage in any enterprise until he had brought hers to a conclusion and that as he knew this better than anyone he should restrain his ardor until his return from her kingdom that is true said don quixote and andres must have patience until my return as you say senora but i once more swear and promise afresh not to stop until i have seen him avenged and paid i have no faith in those oaths said andres i would rather have now something to help me get to seville than all the revenges in the world if you have here anything to eat that i can take with me give it me and god be with your worship and all knights-errant and may their errands turn out as well for themselves as they have for me sancho took out from his store a piece of bread and another of cheese and giving them to the lad he said here take this brother andres for we have all of us a share in your misfortune why what share have you got asked andres the share of bread and cheese i am giving you answered sancho and god knows whether i shall feel the want of it myself or not for i would have you know friend that we squires to nice-errant have to bear a great deal of hunger and hard fortune and even other things more easily felt than told andres seized his bread and cheese and seeing that nobody gave him anything more bent his head and took hold of the road as the saying is however before leaving he said to don quixote For the love of god sir knight errant if you ever meet me again though you may see them cutting me to pieces give me no aid or succor but lead me to my misfortune which will not be so great but that a greater will come to me by being helped by your worship on whom in all the knights-errant that have ever been born god send his curse don quixote was getting up to chastise him but he took to his heels at such a pace that no one attempted to follow him and mightily chapfallen fallen was Don Quixote at the story of Andres, and the others had to take great care to restrain their laughter so as not to put him entirely out of countenance. End of Volume 1, Part 1, Chapter 31 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine Volume 1, Part 1, Chapter 32 of the ingenious gentleman don quixote of la mancha by miguel de cervantes Saavedra, translated by john ormsby eighteen twenty nine to eighteen ninety five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter thirty two which treats of what befell all don quixote's party at the inn their dainty repast being finished they saddled at once and without any adventure worth mentioning they reached next day the inn the object of sancho panza's fear and dread but though he would have rather not entered it there was no help for it the landlady the landlord their daughter and maritornes when they saw don quixote and sancho coming went out to welcome them with signs of hearty satisfaction which don quixote received with dignity and gravity and bade them make up a better bed for him than the last time to which the landlady replied that if he paid better than he did the last time she would give him one fit for a prince don quixote said he would so they made up a tolerable one for him in the same garret as before and he lay down at once being sorely shaken and in want of sleep no sooner was the door shut upon him than the landlady made at the barber and seizing him by the beard said by my faith you are not going to make a beard of my tail any longer you must give me back my tail for it is a shame the way that thing of my husband's goes tossing about on the floor i mean the comb that i used to stick in my good tail but for all she tugged at it the barber would not give it up until the licentiate told him to let her have it as there was now no further occasion for that stratagem because he might declare himself and appear in his own character and tell don quixote that he had fled to this inn when those thieves the galley slaves robbed him and should he ask for the princess's squire they could tell him that she had sent him on before her to give notice to the people of her kingdom that she was coming and bringing with her the deliverer of them all on this the barber cheerfully restored the tale to the landlady and at the same time they returned all the accessories they had borrowed to effect don quixote's deliverance all the people of the inn were struck with astonishment at the beauty of dorothea and even at the comely figure of the shepherd cardenio the curate made them get ready such fare as there was in the inn and the landlord in hope of better payment served them up a tolerably good dinner all this time don quixote was asleep and they thought it best not to awaken him as sleeping would now do him more good than eating while at dinner the company consisting of the landlord his wife their daughter maritones and all the travellers they discussed the strange craze of don quixote and the manner in which he had been found and the landlady told them what had taken place between him and the carrier and then looking round to see if sancho was there when she saw he was not she gave them the whole story of his blanketing which they received with no little amusement but on the curate observing that it was the books of chivalry which don quixote had read that had turned his brain the landlord said i cannot understand how that can be for in truth to my mind there is no better reading in the world and i have here two or three of them with other writings that are the very life not only of myself but of plenty more for when it is harvest time the reapers flock here on holidays and there is always one among them who can read and who takes up one of these books and we gather round him thirty or more of us and stay listening to him with a delight That makes our gray hairs grow young again at least i can say for myself that when i hear of what furious and terrible blows the knights deliver i am seized with the longing to do the same and i would like to be hearing about them night and day and i just as much said the landlady because i never have a quiet moment in my house except when you are listening to someone reading for then you are so taken up that for the time being you forget to scold that is true said maritornes and faith i relish hearing these things greatly too for they are very pretty especially when they describe some lady or another in the arms of her knight under the orange trees and the duenna who is keeping watch for them half dead with envy and fright all this i say is as good as honey and you what do you think young lady said the curate turning to the landlord's daughter i don't know indeed senor said she i listen too and to tell the truth though i do not understand it i like hearing it but it is not the blows that my father likes that i like but the laments the knights utter when they are separated from their ladies and indeed they sometimes make me weep with the compassion i feel for them then you would console them if it was for you they wept young lady said dorothea i don't know what i should do said the girl i only know that there are some of those ladies so cruel that they call their knights tigers and lions and a thousand other foul names and jesus i don't know what sort of folk they can be so unfeeling and heartless that rather than bestow a glance upon a worthy man they leave him to die or go mad i don't know what is the good of such prudery if it is for honor's sake why not marry them that's all they want hush child said the landlady it seems to me thou knowest a great deal about these things and it is not fit for girls to know or talk so much as the gentleman asked me i could not help answering him said the girl well then said the curate bring me these books senor landlord for i should like to see them with all my heart said he and going into his own room he brought out an old valise secured with a little chain on opening which the curate found in it three large books and some manuscripts written in a very good hand the first that he opened he found to be don cirangilio of thrace and the second don felix marte of hircania and the other the history of the great captain gonzalo hernandez de cordova with the life of diego garcia de paredes when the curate read the two first titles he looked over at the barber and said we want my friend's housekeeper and niece here now Now, nay said the barber I can do just as well to carry them to the yard or to the hearth, and there is a very good fire there. What, your worship would burn my books? said the landlord. Only these two, said the curate, Don Cirongilio and Felix Marte. Are my books then heretics or phlegmatics that you want to burn them? said the landlord. Schismatics, you mean, friends, said the barber, not phlegmatics. That's it, said the landlord but if you want to burn any let it be that about the great captain and that diego garcia for i would rather have a child of mine burnt than either of the others brother said the curate those two books are made up of lies and are full of folly and nonsense but this of the great captain is a true history and contains the deeds of gonzalo hernandez of cordova who by his many and great achievements earned the title all over the world of the great captain a famous and an illustrious name, and deserved by him alone. And this Diego Garcia de paredes was a distinguished knight of the city of Trujillo in Estramadura, a most gallant soldier and of such bodily strength that with one finger he stopped a mill wheel in full motion. And posted with a two-handed sword at the foot of a bridge, he kept the whole of an immense army from passing over it and achieved such other exploits, that if instead of his relating them himself with the modesty of a knight, and of one writing his own history, some free and unbiased writer had recorded them, they would have thrown into the shade all the deeds of the Hector's, Achilles's, and Roland's. "'Tell that to my father,' said the landlord. "'There's a thing to be astonished at. Stopping a mill-wheel?' By God, your worship should read what I have read of Felix Marte of Hyrcania, how with one single backstroke he cleft five giants asunder through the middle as if they had been made of bean pods like the little friars the children make. And another time he attacked a very great and powerful army in which there were more than a million six hundred thousand soldiers all armed from head to foot. And he routed them all as if they had been flocks of sheep and then what do you say to the great cyrongelio of thrace that was so stout and bold as may be seen in the book where it is related that as he was sailing along a river there came up out of the midst of the water against him a fiery serpent and he as soon as he saw it flung himself upon it and got astride of its scaly shoulders and squeezed its throat with both hands with such force that the serpent finding he was throttling it had nothing for it but to let itself sink to the bottom of the river carrying with it the knight who would not let go his hold and when they got down there he found himself among palaces and gardens so pretty that it was a wonder to see and then the serpent changed itself into an ancient old man who told him such things as were never heard hold your peace senor for if you were to hear this you would go mad with delight a couple of figs for your great captain and your diego garcia hearing this dorothea said in a whisper to Cardenio, our landlord is almost fit to play a second part to don quixote i think so said Cardenio. for as he shows he accepts it as a certainty that everything those books relate took place exactly as it is written down and the barefooted friars themselves would not persuade him to the contrary but consider brother said the curate once more there never was any Felix Marte of Hyrcania in the world, nor any Cyron Helio of Thrace, or any of the other knights of the same sort that the books of chivalry talk of. The whole thing is the fabrication and invention of idle wits, devised by them for the purpose you describe of beguiling the time, as your reapers do when they read. For I swear to you, in all seriousness, there never were any such knights in the world and no such exploits or nonsense ever happened anywhere try that bone on another dog said the landlord as if i did not know how many make five and where my shoe pinches me don't think to feed me with pap for by god i am no fool it is a good joke for your worship to try and persuade me that everything these good books say is nonsense and lies and they printed by the license of the lords of the royal council as if they were people who would allow such a lot of lies to be printed altogether, and so many battle and enchantments that they take away one's senses i have told you friend said the curate that this is done to divert our idle thoughts and as in well-ordered states games of chess fives and billiards are allowed for the diversion of those who do not care or are not obliged or are unable to work so books of this kind are allowed to be printed On the supposition that what indeed is the truth there can be nobody so ignorant as to take any of them for true stories and if it were permitted me now and the present company desired it i could say something about the qualities books of chivalry should possess to be good ones that would be to the advantage and even to the taste of some but i hope the time will come when i can communicate my ideas to someone who may be able to mend matters and in the meantime senor landlord believe what i have said and take your books and make up your mind about their truth or falsehood and much good may they do you and god grant you may not fall lame of the same foot your guest don quixote halts on no fear of that returned the landlord i shall not be so mad as to make a knight-errant of myself for i see well enough that things are not now as they used to be in those days when they say those famous knights roamed about the world sancho had made his appearance in the middle of this conversation and he was very much troubled and cast down by what he heard said about knights-errant being now no longer in vogue and all books of chivalry being folly and lies and he resolved in his heart to wait and see what came of this journey of his master's and if it did not turn out as happily as his master expected he determined to leave him and go back to his wife and children and his ordinary labor the landlord was carrying away the valise and the books but the curate said to him wait i want to see what those papers are that are written in such a good hand the landlord taking them out handed them to him to read and he perceived they were a work of about eight sheets of manuscript with in large letters at the beginning the title of novel of the ill-advised curiosity the curate read three or four lines to himself and said i must say the title of this novel does not seem to me a bad one and i feel an inclination to read it all to which the landlord replied then your reverence will do well to read it for i can tell you that some guests who have read it here have been much pleased with it and have begged it of me very earnestly but i would not give it meaning to return it to the person who forgot the valise books and papers here for maybe he will return here some time or other and though i know i shall miss the books faith i mean to return them for though i am an innkeeper still i am a christian you are very right friend said the curate but for all that if the novel pleases me you must let me copy it with all my heart replied the host while they were talking cardenio had taken up the novel and begun to read it and forming the same opinion of it as the curate he begged him to read it so that they might all hear it I would read it said the curate if the time would not be better spent in sleeping than in reading it will be rest enough for me said dorothea to while away the time by listening to some tale for my spirits are not yet tranquil enough to let me sleep when it would be seasonable well then in that case said the curate i will read it if it were only out of curiosity perhaps it may contain something pleasant master nicholas added his entreaties to the same effect and sancho too seeing which and considering that he would give pleasure to all and receive it himself the curate said well then attend to me every one for the novel begins thus end of volume one part one chapter thirty two recording by expatriate in bangor Maine. volume one part one chapter thirty three of the ingenious gentleman don quixote of la mancha by miguel de cervantes Saavedra, translated by john ormsby eighteen twenty nine to eighteen ninety five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter thirty three in which is related the novel of ill-advised curiosity in florence a rich and famous city of italy in the province called tuscany there lived two gentlemen of wealth and quality anselmo and lothario such great friends that by way of distinction they were called by all that knew them the two friends they were unmarried young of the same age and of the same tastes which was enough to account for the reciprocal friendship between them anselmo it is true was somewhat more inclined to seek pleasure in love than lothario for whom the pleasures of the chase had more attraction but on occasion anselmo would forego his own taste to yield to those of lothario and lothario would surrender his to fall in with those of anselmo and in this way their inclinations kept pace one with the other with a concord so perfect that the best regulated clock could not surpass it anselmo was deep in love with a high-born and beautiful maiden of the same city the daughter of parents so estimable and so estimable herself that he resolved with the approval of his friend lothario without whom he did nothing to ask her of them in marriage and did so lothario being the bearer of the demand and conducting the negotiations so much to the satisfaction of his friend that in a short time he was in possession of the object of his desires and camilla so happy in having won anselmo for her husband that she gave thanks unceasingly to heaven and to lothario by whose means such good fortune had fallen to her the first few days those of a wedding being usually days of merry-making lothario frequented his friend anselmo's house as he had been wont striving to do honour to him and to the occasion and to gratify him in every way he could but when the wedding days were over and the succession of visits and congratulations had slackened he began purposely to leave off going to the house of anselmo for it seemed to him as it naturally would to all men of sense that friends houses ought not to be visited after marriage with the same frequency as in their master's bachelor days because although true and genuine friendship cannot and should not be in any way suspicious still a married man's honor is a thing of such delicacy that it is held liable to injury from brothers much more from friends anselmo remarked of the cessation of lothario's visits and complained of it to him saying that if he had known that marriage was to keep him from enjoying his society as he used he would never have married and that if by the thorough harmony that subsisted between them while he was a bachelor they had earned such a sweet name as that of the two friends he should not allow a title so rare and so delightful to be lost through a needless anxiety to act circumspectly and so he entreated him if such a phrase was allowable between them to be once more master of his house and to come in and go out as formerly assuring him that his wife camilla had no other desire of inclination than that which he would wish her to have and that knowing how sincerely they loved one another she was grieved to see such coldness in him to all this and much more that anselmo said to lothario to persuade him to come to his house as he had been in the habit of doing lothario replied with so much prudent sense and judgment that anselmo was satisfied of his friend's good intentions and it was agreed that on two days in the week and on holidays lothario should come to dine with him but though this arrangement was made between them lothario resolved to observe it no further than he considered to be in accordance with the honor of his friend whose good name was more to him than his own he said and justly that a married man upon whom heaven had bestowed a beautiful wife should consider as carefully what friends he brought to his house as what female friends his wife associated with for what cannot be done or arranged in the market-place in church at public festivals or at stations opportunities that husbands cannot always deny their wives may be easily managed in the house of the female friend or relative in whom most confidence is reposed lotharius said too that every married man should have some friend who would point out to him any negligence he might be guilty of in his conduct for it will sometimes happen that owing to the deep affection the husband bears his wife either he does not caution her or not to vex her refrains from telling her to do or not to do certain things doing or avoiding which may be a matter of honor or reproach to him and errors of this kind he could easily correct if warned by a friend but where is such a friend to be found as lothario would have so judicious so loyal and so true of a truth i know not lothario alone was such a one for with the utmost care and vigilance he watched over the honor of his friend and strove to diminish cut down and reduce the number of days for going to his house according to their agreement lest the visits of a young man wealthy high born and with the attractions he was conscious of possessing at the house of a woman as beautiful as camilla should be regarded with suspicion by the inquisitive and malicious eyes of the idle public for though his integrity and reputation might bridle slanderous tongues still he was unwilling to hazard either his own good name or that of his friend and for this reason most of the days agreed upon he devoted to some other business which he pretended was unavoidable so that a great portion of the day was taken up with complaints on one side and excuses on the other it happened however that on one occasion when the two were strolling together through a meadow outside the city anselmo addressed the following words to lothario thou mayest suppose lothario my friend that i am unable to give sufficient thanks for the favors god has rendered me in making me the son of such parents as mine were and bestowing upon me with no niggard hand what are called the gifts of nature as well as those of fortune and above all for what he has done in giving me thee for a friend and camilla for a wife two treasures that i value if not as highly as i ought at least as highly as i am able and yet with all these good things which are commonly all that men need to enable them to live happily i am the most discontented and dissatisfied man in the whole world for i know not how long since i have been harassed and oppressed by a desire so strange and so unusual that i wonder at myself and blame and chide myself when i am alone and strive to stifle it and hide it from my own thoughts, and with no better success than if I were endeavoring deliberately to publish it to all the world. And as in short it must come out, I would confide it to thy safe keeping, feeling sure that by this means and by thy readiness as a true friend to afford me relief, I shall soon find myself freed from the distress it causes me and that thy care will give me happiness in the same degree as my own folly has caused me misery the words of anselmo struck lothario with astonishment unable as he was to conjecture the purport of such a lengthy prelude and preamble and though he strove to imagine what desire it could be that so troubled his friend his conjectures were all far from the truth and to relieve the anxiety which this perplexity was causing him he told him he was doing a flagrant injustice to their great friendship in seeking circuitous methods of confiding to him his most hidden thoughts for he well knew he might reckon upon his counsel in diverting them or his help in carrying them into effect that is the truth replied anselmo and relying upon that i will tell thee friend lothario that the desire which harasses me is that of knowing whether my wife camilla is as good and as perfect as i think her to be and i cannot satisfy myself of the truth on this point except by testing her in such a way that the trial may prove the purity of her virtue as the fire proves that of gold because i am persuaded my friend that a woman is virtuous only in proportion as she is or is not tempted and that she alone is strong who does not yield to the promises gifts tears and importunities of earnest lovers For what thanks does a woman deserve for being good if no one urges her to be bad? And what wonder is it that she is reserved and circumspect to whom no opportunity is given of going wrong? And who knows she has a husband that will take her life the first time he detects her in an impropriety? I do not therefore hold her who is virtuous through fear or want of opportunity in the same estimation as her who comes out of temptation and trial with a crown of victory and so for these reasons and many others that i could give thee to justify and support the opinion i hold i am desirous that my wife camilla should pass this crisis and be refined and tested by the fire of finding herself wooed and solicited and by one worthy to set his affections upon her and if she comes out as i know she will victorious from this struggle i shall look upon my good fortune as unequalled i shall be able to say that the cup of my desire is full and that the virtuous woman of whom the sage says who shall find her has fallen to my lot and if the result be the contrary of what i expect in the satisfaction of knowing that i have been right in my opinion i shall bear without complaint the pain which my so dearly bought experience will naturally cause me and as nothing of all thou wilt urge in opposition to my wish will avail to keep me from carrying it into effect it is my desire friend lothario that thou shouldst consent to become the instrument for effecting this purpose that i am bent upon for i will afford thee opportunities to that end and nothing shall be wanting that i may think necessary for the pursuit of a virtuous honorable modest and high-minded woman and among other reasons i am induced to entrust this arduous task to thee by the consideration that if camilla be conquered by thee the conquest will not be pushed to extremes but only far enough to account that accomplished which from a sense of honor will be left undone thus i shall not be wronged in anything more than intention and my wrong will remain buried in the integrity of thy silence which i know well will be as lasting as that of death in what concerns me if therefore thou wouldst have me enjoy what can be called life thou wilt at once engage in this love struggle not lukewarmly nor slothfully but with the energy and zeal that my desire demands and with the loyalty our friendship assures me of such were the words anselmo addressed to lothario who listened to them with such attention that except to say what has been already mentioned he did not open his lips until the other had finished then perceiving that he had no more to say after regarding him for a while as one would regard something never before seen that excited wonder and amazement he said to him i cannot persuade myself anselmo my friend that what thou hast said to me is not in jest if i thought that thou wert speaking seriously i would not have allowed thee to go so far so as to put a stop to thy long harangue by not listening to thee i verily suspect that either thou dost not know me or i do not know thee but no i know well thou art anselmo and thou knowest that i am lothario the misfortune is it seems to me that thou art not the anselmo thou wert and must have thought that i am not the lothario i should be for the things that thou hast said to me are not those of that anselmo who was my friend nor are those that thou demandest of me what should be asked of the lothario thou knowest true friends will prove their friends and make use of them, as a poet has said usque ad aras, whereby he meant that they will not make use of their friendship in things that are contrary to god's will. If this then was a heathen's feeling about friendship, how much more should it be a christian's who knows that the divine must not be forfeited for the sake of any human friendship and if a friend should go so far as to put aside his duty to heaven to fulfill his duty to his friend it should not be in matters that are trifling or of little moment but in such as affect the friend's life and honor now tell me anselmo in which of these two art thou imperiled that i should hazard myself to gratify thee and do a thing so detestable as that thou seekest of me neither forsooth on the contrary thou dost ask of me so far as i understand to strive and labor to rob thee of honor and life and to rob myself of them at the same time for if i take away thy honor it is plain i take away thy life as a man without honor is worse than dead and being the instrument as thou wilt have it so of so much wrong to thee shall not i too be left without honor and consequently without life listen to me anselmo my friend and be not impatient to answer me until i have said what occurs to me touching the object of thy desire for there will be time enough left for thee to reply and for me to hear be it so said anselmo say what thou wilt lothario then went on to say it seems to me anselmo that thine is just now the temper of mind which is always that of the moors Who can never be brought to see the error of their creed by quotations from the holy scriptures or by reasons which depend upon the examination of the understanding or are founded upon the articles of faith but must have examples that are palpable easy intelligible capable of proof not admitting of doubt with mathematical demonstrations that cannot be denied like if equals be taken from equals the remainders are equal And if they do not understand this in words and indeed they do not it has to be shown to them with the hands and put before their eyes and even with all this no one succeeds in convincing them of the truth of our holy religion the same mode of proceeding i shall have to adopt with thee for the desire which has sprung up in thee is so absurd and remote from everything that has a semblance of reason that i feel it would be a waste of time to employ it in reasoning with thy simplicity for at present i will call it by no other name and i am even tempted to leave thee in thy folly as a punishment for thy pernicious desire but the friendship i bear thee which will not allow me to desert thee in such manifold danger of destruction keeps me from dealing so harshly by thee and that thou mayest clearly see this say anselmo Hast thou not told me that I must force my suit upon a modest woman, decoy one that is virtuous, make overtures to one that is pure-minded, pay court to one that is prudent? Yes, thou hast told me so. Then, if thou knowest that thou hast a wife, modest, virtuous, pure-minded, and prudent, what is it that thou seekest? And if thou believest that she will come forth victorious from all my attacks, as doubtless she would what higher titles than those she possesses now dost thou think thou canst bestow upon her then or in what will she be better then than she is now either thou dost not hold her to be what thou sayest or thou knowest not what thou dost demand if thou dost not hold her to be what thou sayest why dost thou seek to prove her instead of treating her as guilty in the way that may seem best to thee but if she be as virtuous as thou believest It is an uncalled-for proceeding to make trial of truth itself for after trial it will but be in the same estimation as before thus then it is conclusive that to attempt things from which harm rather than advantage may come to us is the part of unreasoning and reckless minds more especially when they are things which we are not forced or compelled to attempt and which show from afar that it is plainly madness to attempt them difficulties are attempted either for the sake of god or for the sake of the world or for both those undertaken for god's sake are those which the saints undertake when they attempt to live the lives of angels in human bodies those undertaken for the sake of the world are those of the men who traverse such a vast expanse of water such a variety of climates so many strange countries to acquire what are called the blessings of fortune and those undertaken for the sake of god and the world together are those of brave soldiers who no sooner do they see in the enemy's wall a breach as wide as a cannon-ball could make than casting aside all fear without hesitating or heeding the manifest peril that threatens them borne onward by the desire of defending their faith their country and their king they fling themselves dauntlessly into the midst of the thousand opposing deaths that await them Such are the things that men are wont to attempt. And there is honor, glory, gain in attempting them, however full of difficulty and peril they may be. But that which thou sayest, it is thy wish to attempt and carry out, will not win thee the glory of God, nor the blessings of fortune, nor fame among men. For even if the issue be as thou wouldst have it, thou wilt be no happier, richer, or more honored than thou art this moment and if it be otherwise thou wilt be reduced to misery greater than can be imagined for then it will avail thee nothing to reflect that no one is aware of the misfortune that has befallen thee it will suffice to torture and crush thee that thou knowest it thyself and in confirmation of the truth of what i say let me repeat to thee a stanza made by the famous poet luigi tonsillo at the end of the first part of his tears of st peter which says thus the anguish and the shame but greater grew in peter's heart as morning slowly came no eye was there to see him well he knew yet he himself was to himself a shame exposed to all men's gaze or screened from view a noble heart will feel the pang the same a prey to shame the sinning soul will be though none but heaven and earth its shame can see thus by keeping it secret thou wilt not escape thy sorrow but rather thou wilt shed tears unceasingly if not tears of the eyes tears of blood from the heart like those shed by that simple doctor our poet tells us of that tried the test of the cup which the wise rinaldo better advised refused to do for though this may be a poetic fiction it contains a moral lesson worthy of attention and study and imitation moreover by what i am about to say to thee thou wilt be led to see the great error thou wouldst commit tell me Anselmo, if heaven or good fortune had made thee master and lawful owner of a diamond of the finest quality with the excellence and purity of which all the lapidaries that had seen it had been satisfied saying with one voice and common consent that in purity quality and fineness it was all that a stone of the kind could possibly be thou thyself too being of the same belief as knowing nothing to the contrary would it be reasonable in thee to desire to take that diamond and place it between an anvil and a hammer and by mere force of blows and strength of arm try if it were as hard and as fine as they said and if thou didst and if the stone should resist so silly a test thou would add nothing to its value or reputation and if it were broken as it might be would not all be lost undoubtedly it would leaving its owner to be rated as a fool in the opinion of all consider then anselmo my friend that camilla is a diamond of the finest quality as well in thy estimation as in that of others and that it is contrary to reason to expose her to the risk of being broken for if she remain intact she cannot rise to a higher value than she now possesses and if she give way and be unable to resist bethink thee now how thou wilt be deprived of her and with what good reason thou wilt complain of thyself for having been the cause of her ruin and thine own remember there is no jewel in the world so precious as a chaste and virtuous woman and that the whole honor of women consists in reputation and since thy wife's is of that high excellence that thou knowest wherefore shouldst thou seek to call that truth in question remember my friend that woman is an imperfect animal and that impediments are not to be placed in her way to make her trip and fall but that they should be removed and her path left clear of all obstacles so that without hindrance she may run her course freely to attain the desired perfection which consists in being virtuous naturalists tell us that the ermine is a little animal which has a fur of purest white and that when the hunters wish to take it they make use of this artifice having ascertained the places which it frequents and passes they stop the way to them with mud and then, rousing it, drive it towards the spot, and as soon as the ermine comes to the mud, it halts and allows itself to be taken captive rather than pass through the mire and spoil and sully its whiteness, which it values more than life and liberty. The virtuous and chaste woman is an ermine, and whiter and purer than snow is the virtue of modesty, and he who wishes her not to lose it, but to keep and preserve it, must adopt a course different from that employed with the ermine he must not put before her the mire of the gifts and attentions of persevering lovers because perhaps and even without a perhaps she may not have sufficient virtue and natural strength in herself to pass through and tread underfoot these impediments they must be removed and the brightness of virtue and the beauty of a fair fame must be put before her A virtuous woman too is like a mirror of clear shining crystal liable to be tarnished and dimmed by every breath that touches it she must be treated as relics are adored not touched she must be protected and prized as one protects and prizes a fair garden full of roses and flowers the owner of which allows no one to trespass or pluck a blossom enough for others that from afar and through the iron grating they may enjoy its fragrance and its beauty finally let me repeat to thee some verses that come to my mind i heard them in a modern comedy and it seems to me they bear upon the point we are discussing a prudent old man was giving advice to another the father of a young girl to lock her up watch over her and keep her in seclusion and among other arguments he used these woman is a thing of glass but her brittleness tis best not too curiously to test who knows what may come to pass breaking is an easy matter and it's folly to expose what you cannot mend to blows what you can't make whole to shatter this then all may hold as true and the reason's plain to see for if Danaas there be there are golden showers too all that i have said to thee so far anselmo has had reference to what concerns thee now it is right that i should say something of what regards myself and if i be prolix, pardon me for the labyrinth into which thou hast entered and from which thou wouldst have me extricate thee makes it necessary thou dost reckon me thy friend and thou wouldst rob me of honor a thing wholly inconsistent with friendship And not only dost thou aim at this, but thou wouldst have me rob thee of it also. That thou wouldst rob me of it is clear, for when Camilla sees that I pay court to her as thou requirest, she will certainly regard me as a man without honor or right feeling, since I attempt and do a thing so much opposed to what I owe my own position and thy friendship. That thou wouldst have me rob thee of it is beyond a doubt for camilla seeing that i press my suit upon her will suppose that i have perceived in her something light that has encouraged me to make known to her my base desire and if she holds herself dishonored her dishonor touches thee as belonging to her and hence arises what so commonly takes place that the husband of the adulterous woman though he may not be aware of or have given any cause for his wife's failure in her duty or being careless or negligent have had it in his power to prevent his dishonor nevertheless is stigmatized by a vile and reproachful name and in a manner regarded with eyes of contempt instead of pity by all who know of his wife's guilt though they see that he is unfortunate not by his own fault but by the lust of a vicious consort but i will tell thee why with good reason dishonor attaches to the husband of the unchaste wife though he know not that she is so nor are he to blame nor have done anything or given any provocation to make her so and be not weary with listening to me for it will be all for thy good when god created our first parent in the earthly paradise the holy scripture says that he infused sleep into adam and while he slept took a rib from his left side of which he formed our mother eve and when adam awoke and beheld her he said this is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone and god said for this shall a man leave his father and his mother and they shall be two in one flesh and then was instituted the divine sacrament of marriage with such ties that death alone can loose them and such is the force and virtue of this miraculous sacrament that it makes two different persons one in the same flesh and even more than this When the virtuous are married for though they have two souls they have but one will and hence it follows that the flesh of the wife is one and the same with that of her husband the stains that may come upon it or the injuries it incurs fall upon the husband's flesh though he as has been said may have given no cause for them for as the pain of the foot or any member of the body is felt by the whole body because all is one flesh as the head feels the hurt to the ankle without having caused it so the husband being one with her shares the dishonor of the wife and as all worldly honor or dishonor comes of flesh and blood and the erring wife's is of that kind the husband must needs bear his part of it and be held dishonored without knowing it see then anselmo the peril thou art encountering in seeking to disturb the peace of thy virtuous consort see for what an empty and ill-advised curiosity thou wouldst rouse up passions that now repose in quiet in the breast of thy chaste wife reflect that what thou art staking all to win is little and what thou wilt lose so much that i leave it undescribed not having the words to express it but if all i have said be not enough to turn thee from thy vile purpose thou must seek some other instrument for thy dishonor and misfortune for such i will not consent to be though by this i lose thy friendship the greatest loss that i can conceive having said this the wise and virtuous lothario was silent and anselmo troubled in mind and deep in thought was unable for a while to utter a word in reply but at length he said i have listened lothario my friend attentively as thou hast seen to what thou hast chosen to say to me and in thy arguments examples and comparisons i have seen that high intelligence thou dost possess and the perfection of true friendship thou hast reached and likewise i see and confess that if i am not guided by thy opinion but follow my own i am flying from the good and pursuing the evil this being so thou must remember that i am now laboring under that infirmity which women sometimes suffer from when the craving seizes them to eat clay plaster charcoal and things even worse disgusting to look at much more to eat so that it will be necessary to have recourse to some artifice to cure me and this can be easily effected if only thou wilt make a beginning even though it be in a lukewarm and make-believe fashion to pay court to camilla who will not be so yielding that her virtue will give way at the first attack with this mere attempt i shall rest satisfied and thou wilt have done what our friendship binds thee to do not only in giving me life but in persuading me not to discard my honour and this thou art bound to do for one reason alone that being as i am resolved to apply this test It is not for thee to permit me to reveal my weakness to another and so imperil that honor thou art striving to keep me from losing and if thine may not stand as high as it ought in the estimation of camilla while thou art paying court to her that is of little or no importance because ere long on finding in her that constancy which we expect thou canst tell her the plain truth as regards our stratagem and so regain thy place in her esteem and as thou art venturing so little, and by the venture canst afford me so much satisfaction, refuse not to undertake it, even if further difficulties present themselves to thee. For, as I have said, if thou wilt only make a beginning, I will acknowledge the issue decided. Lothario, seeing the fixed determination of Anselmo, and not knowing what further examples to offer or arguments to urge in order to dissuade him from it, and perceiving that he threatened to confide his pernicious scheme to someone else to avoid a greater evil resolved to gratify him and do what he asked intending to manage the business so as to satisfy anselmo without corrupting the mind of camilla so in reply he told him not to communicate his purpose to any other for he would undertake the task himself and would begin it as soon as he pleased anselmo embraced him warmly and affectionately and thanked him for his offer as if he had bestowed some great favor upon him and it was agreed between them to set about it the next day anselmo affording opportunity and time to lothario to converse alone with camilla and furnishing him with money and jewels to offer and present to her he suggested too that he should treat her to music and write verses in her praise and if he was unwilling to take the trouble of composing them he offered to do it himself lothario agreed to all with an intention very different from what anselmo supposed and with this understanding they returned to anselmo's house where they found camilla awaiting her husband anxiously and uneasily for he was later than usual in returning that day lothario repaired to his own house and anselmo remained in his as well satisfied as lothario was troubled in mind for he could see no satisfactory way out of this ill-advised business that night however he thought of a plan by which he might deceive anselmo without any injury to camilla the next day he went to dine with his friend and was welcomed by camilla who received and treated him with great cordiality knowing the affection her husband felt for him when dinner was over and the cloth removed anselmo told lothario to stay there with camilla while he attended to some pressing business as he would return in an hour and a half camilla begged him not to go and lothario offered to accompany him but nothing could persuade anselmo who on the contrary pressed lothario to remain waiting for him as he had a matter of great importance to discuss with him at the same time he bade camilla not to leave lothario alone until he came back in short he contrived to put so good a face on the reason or the folly of his absence that no one could have suspected it was a pretense anselmo took his departure and camilla and lothario were left alone at the table for the rest of the household had gone to dinner lothario saw himself in the lists according to his friend's wish and facing an enemy that could by her beauty alone vanquish a squadron of armed knights judge whether he had good reason to fear but what he did was to lean his elbow on the arm of the chair and his cheek upon his hand and, asking Camilla's pardon for his ill manners, he said he wished to take a little sleep until Anselmo returned. Camilla, in reply, said he could repose more at his ease in the reception room than in his chair, and begged of him to go in and sleep there. But Lothario declined, and there he remained asleep until the return of Anselmo, who, finding Camilla in her own room and Lothario asleep, imagined that he had stayed away so long as to have afforded them time enough for conversation and even for sleep and was all impatient until lothario should wake up that he might go out with him and question him as to his success everything fell out as he wished lothario awoke and the two at once left the house and anselmo asked what he was anxious to know and lothario to answer told him that he had not thought it advisable to declare himself entirely the first time and therefore had only extolled the charms of camilla telling her that all the city spoke of nothing else but her beauty and wit for this seemed to him an excellent way of beginning to gain her goodwill and render her disposed to listen to him with pleasure the next time thus availing himself of the device the devil has recourse to when he would deceive one who is on the watch for he being the angel of darkness transforms himself into an angel of light and under cover of a fair seeming discloses himself at length and effects his purpose if at the beginning his wiles are not discovered all this gave great satisfaction to anselmo and he said he would afford the same opportunity every day but without leaving the house for he would find things to do at home so that camilla should not detect the plot thus then several days went by and lothario without uttering a word to camilla reported to anselmo that he had talked with her and that he had never been able to draw from her the slightest indication of consent to anything dishonorable nor even a sign or shadow of hope on the contrary he said she threatened that if he did not abandon such a wicked idea she would inform her husband of it so far well said anselmo camilla has thus far resisted words we must now see how she will resist deeds i will give you to-morrow two thousand crowns in gold for you to offer or even present and as many more to buy jewels to lure her for women are fond of being becomingly attired and going gaily dressed and all the more so if they are beautiful however chaste they may be and if she resists this temptation i will rest satisfied and will give you no more trouble lothario replied that now he had begun He would carry on the undertaking to the end though he perceived he was to come out of it wearied and vanquished the next day he received the four thousand crowns and with them four thousand perplexities for he knew not what to say by way of a new falsehood but in the end he made up his mind to tell him that camilla stood as firm against gifts and promises as against words and that there was no use in taking any further trouble for the time was all spent to no purpose but chance directing things in a different manner so ordered it that anselmo having left lothario and camilla alone as on other occasions shut himself into a chamber and posted himself to watch and listen through the keyhole to what passed between them and perceived that for more than half an hour lothario did not utter a word to camilla nor would utter a word though he were to be there for an age and he came to the conclusion that what his friend had told him about the replies of camilla was all invention and falsehood and to ascertain if it were so he came out and calling lothario aside asked him what news he had and in what humor camilla was lothario replied that he was not disposed to go on with the business for she had answered him so angrily and harshly that he had no heart to say anything more to her Ah lothario lothario said anselmo how ill dost thou meet thy obligations to me and the great confidence i repose in thee i have been just now watching through this keyhole and i have seen that thou hast not said a word to camilla whence i conclude that on the former occasions thou hast not spoken to her either and if this be so as no doubt it is why dost thou deceive me or wherefore seekest thou by craft to deprive me of the means i might find of attaining my desire anselmo said no more but he had said enough to cover lothario with shame and confusion and he feeling as it were his honor touched by having been detected in a lie swore to anselmo that he would from that moment devote himself to satisfying him without any deception as he would see if he had the curiosity to watch though he need not take the trouble for the pains he would take to satisfy him would remove all suspicions from his mind anselmo believed him and to afford him an opportunity more free and less liable to surprise he resolved to absent himself from his house for eight days betaking himself to that of a friend of his who lived in a village not far from the city and the better to account for his departure to camilla he so arranged it that the friend should send him a very pressing invitation unhappy short-sighted anselmo what art thou doing what art thou plotting what art thou devising bethink thee thou art working against thyself plotting thine own dishonor devising thine own ruin thy wife camilla is virtuous thou dost possess her in peace and quietness no one assails thy happiness her thoughts wander not beyond the walls of thy house thou art her heaven on earth the object of her wishes the fulfilment of her desires the measure wherewith she measures her will making it conform in all things to thine in heavens if then the mine of her honour beauty virtue and modesty yields thee without labour all the wealth it contains and thou canst wish for why wilt thou dig the earth in search of fresh veins of new unknown treasure risking the collapse of all since it but rests on the feeble props of her weak nature bethink thee that from him who seeks impossibilities that which is possible may with justice be withheld as was better expressed by a poet who said tis mine to seek for life and death health and disease seek i i seek in prison freedom's breath in traitor's loyalty so fate that ever scorns to grant or grace or boon to me since what can never be i want denies me what might be the next day anselmo took his departure for the village leaving instructions with camilla that during his absence lothario would come to look after his house and to dine with her and that she was to treat him as she would himself camilla was distressed as a discreet and right-minded woman would be at the orders her husband left her and bade him remember that it was not becoming that any one should occupy his seat at the table during his absence and if he acted thus not from feeling confidence that she would be able to manage his house let him try her this time and he would find by experience that she was equal to greater responsibilities anselmo replied that it was his pleasure to have it so and that she had only to submit and obey camilla said she would do so though against her will anselmo went and the next day lothario came to his house where he was received by camilla with a friendly and modest welcome but she never suffered lothario to see her alone for she was always attended by her men and women servants especially by a handmaid of hers Leonella by name to whom she was much attached for they had been brought up together from childhood in her father's house, and whom she had kept with her after her marriage with Anselmo. The first three days Lothario did not speak to her, though he might have done so when they removed the cloth and the servants retired to dine hastily. For such were Camilla's orders. Nay more, Leonella had directions to dine earlier than Camilla and never to leave her side she however having her thoughts fixed upon other things more to her taste and wanting that time and opportunity for her own pleasure did not always obey her mistress's commands but on the contrary left them alone as if they had ordered her to do so but the modest bearing of camilla the calmness of her countenance the composure of her aspect were enough to bridle the tongue of lothario but the influence which the many virtues of camilla exerted in imposing silence on lothario's tongue proved mischievous for both of them for if his tongue was silent his thoughts were busy and could dwell at leisure upon the perfections of camilla's goodness and beauty one by one charms enough to warm with love a marble statue not to say a heart of flesh lothario gazed upon her when he might have been speaking to her and thought how worthy of being loved she was and thus reflection began little by little to assail his allegiance to anselmo and a thousand times he thought of withdrawing from the city and going where anselmo should never see him nor he see camilla but already the delight he found in gazing on her interposed and held him fast he put a constraint upon himself and struggled to repel and repress the pleasure he found in contemplating camilla when alone he blamed himself for his weakness called himself a bad friend nay a bad christian then he argued the matter and compared himself with anselmo always coming to the conclusion that the folly and rashness of anselmo had been worse than his faithlessness and that if he could excuse his intentions as easily before god as with man he need fear no punishment for his offense in short the beauty and goodness of Camilla, joined with the opportunity which the blind husband had placed in his hands, overthrew the loyalty of Lothario, and giving heed to nothing save the object towards which his inclinations led him, after Anselmo had been three days absent, during which he had been carrying on a continual struggle with his passion, he began to make love to Camilla with so much vehemence and warmth of language that she was overwhelmed with amazement and could only rise from her place and retire to her room without answering him a word but the hope which always springs up with love was not weakened in lothario by this repelling demeanour on the contrary his passion for camilla increased and she discovering in him what she had never expected knew not what to do and considering it neither safe nor right to give him the chance or opportunity of speaking to her again she resolved to send, as she did that very night, one of her servants with a letter to Anselmo in which she addressed the following words to him. End of Volume One, Part One, Chapter Thirty-Three, Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine.